This episode of Pretty Much Pop is sponsored by ZocDoc. Use their free app to search for a top-rated doctor today at ZocDoc.com slash PMP. This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast boycotting the work of each and every celebrity in advance in case they end up being criminals. Today we're talking about the new phenomena of experiencing art by disgraced artists in light of W. Camille Bell's docu-series, We Need to Talk About Cosby. I'm Mark Lintemeyer, unable to listen to my own work given my knowledge of my own filthy habits. My name is Sarah Lynn Brooke, and I will be getting my own drink. Thank you. This is Lawrence Ware, and I didn't think of anything clever to say. I am Genevieve Joy. I am a comedian, and I have met Bill Cosby. Has anybody else met Bill Cosby or had a run-in? Yeah, I've met him. I've met him a couple times. So Lawrence writes for entertainment stuff for the New York Times. Is that why you were you met him? No, I met Bill Cosby when I was an undergrad. I think he came for a talk. I think he was at OU. Then he did a talk at, a, at like a conference that I was at. So I met him there. So I met him a few times. Of course, we didn't hang out and get drinks or anything. I also met him briefly once when he spoke at my college. And then years later, I was doing stand-up and my mother's guy she was dating was putting on some benefit. He was hosting it. And Bill Cosby was the main event. It was actually for the Dizzy Gillespie Foundation for musicians. And Bill Cosby was emceeing it. And since we were there as guests of the guy who was producing the whole thing, we got to hang out with Bill Cosby and spend some time with him and talk to him. So I have been a lifelong fan. I'm a stand-up comedian and my entire style is based on everything I learned from watching and studying him. So I have a personal thing about it, right? And I saw him sitting in the lounge and my mom and her boyfriend were like, you got to go talk to him and introduce yourself. And I'm a little daunted, but I went up to him and I said, Mr. Cosby, it's so exciting for me to meet you. And I went to shake his hand and he slipped his arm very quickly around my waist and pulled me onto his lap. And I was 25 years old. So I'm sitting in this man's lap and I'm thinking, not really thinking much of it because it doesn't occur to you that Bill Cosby is a predator at the time. But I did have that thought, like, is this cute? Like, I feel like I'm a little old to be a hoxable child, you know? And then I started to get up, but his arm was around my waist very solidly, like a bar that I couldn't really get up from. And people were coming over and saying hello to him. And I was just chilling there in his lap for a good 15, 20 minutes. And then finally, you know, I'm I'm trying to sort of talk to him, but now my face is like an inch away from his face and it's very uncomfortable. And I said, I want to go back into the show. So I'm so glad to meet you. Mm." And I I got up and I went back into the show and I thought, that was strange. And someone took a picture. There's pictures of this. And later, after the scandal broke, my mom said, I didn't want to say anything to you because you were such a fan and it was such a great moment and I didn't want to ruin it. But when you were walking away, he was staring very intensely at you walking away. And so to sort of break the awkwardness, my mom said, 
you know, this was really great for my daughter. She's such a fan of yours. It was really exciting for her to meet you. And he looked at her and said, if you and I had fucked and she was ours, she would be black. Well. And my mom allegedly said, well, we didn't. And she isn't. And that was sort of the end of that interaction. And forget predatory. That's just fucking weird. Like, who says that to somebody's mother? Like, or at all. It's completely weird. That is quite the story. That is a crazy story. Oh, my God. All right, Sarah Lynn, beat that with some opening thoughts about this topic. <laughs> there, yeah, absolutely no competition there. No, no, no R. Kelly inter- interactions on your... <laughs> no. <laughs> like, um, Kamau Bell, I'm a member of Generation X. I grew up with Fat Albert as a kid. I grew up with the Huxtable family. And actually, my whole family, we were in love with Bill Cosby. If we would go on vacation and they had HBO that Bill Cosby himself was on repeat. Like we would watch that over and over and over again as a family. And it was, I mean, now it seems like there are lots of family friendly shows that you can all, that everyone gets something out of. But when I was a kid, my parents were not interested in like watching different strokes with me or watching the Dukes of Hazzard. Like they couldn't care less about stuff like that, but we all could sit down and watch the Cosby show every single week. And it really kind of brought us all together. We all got something out of it. So I felt in some ways just he was everybody's dad, you know, and I was in the mix. I was the perfect age for all of that. Did you have to write about this new documentary, Lawrence? No, I didn't have to write about this documentary. But when when he was released from prison, I had to write about that. Opening thoughts about the about the topic here. I mean, I don't know that we're going to add much with Genevieve's story gave us a scoop. My friend's mother used to open for him on the road. Toby Stone is her name. She was a comic for years in the 70s and 80s. And when he asked her about it, she said, yes, it's all true. And he wasn't the worst. But at the time, there was nothing anybody could really say or do. I mean, people don't like whistleblowers. I mean, she didn't know, you know, that he was like raping people. But he always had a reputation among people who knew him as a sleaze and as a creep. I guess that's one thing that came up for me during this experience is I had maybe thought that, well, I don't know how I would act if I was the most powerful person in the world. <laughs> maybe there's, there's uh temptations that if you really get that kind of ego, but knowing that like he had this complex from a very early on from the mid sixties, like, I guess I've also come to learn that any amount of power can be abused. I uh, know somebody personally who is engaged in sort of the class action confrontation of this comic book writer, uh, Warren Ellis, who would just get in these sort of internet relationships with various women and get them to be sexually performative, like, hey, send me videos of yourself, you know, and then just like drop them immediately as soon as, you know, make them feel very special, but then, you know, clearly using them. So nothing like the Cosby, but like this is a guy with only enough celebrity to, you know, attract a very specific brand of nerd girl that would then. But anything can be abused, you know, so (laughs) you don't have to be a celebrity to do that. Women are conditioned to seek men's approval and to get men to like them. It's a big part of what goes into the way we breed women. And so, you know, any girl who's slightly awkward or nerdy or lonely is an easy target for someone who who can turn on the charm and make them feel important. Like, I, I don't think that's 
a celebrity abusing his power. I think that's just a, a dick abusing his, uh, you know, people who manipulate, who can spot out like guys who intentionally go for the chubby girl in the bar because there's a better shot that they're going to get laid because that girl's not getting as much attention. People do that. It's predatory. That's just the thing that comes with being an asshole. I don't know if that's a thing that comes with celebrity. I think the idea that Bill Cosby had, that he was untouchable, that these things that were blatantly illegal were not illegal for him because he was better than everybody and he had the entire world on his side. I mean, he had every child loved him. Every black person loved him. I mean, nobody wanted this to be true. The women who came forward in the documentary Every single one of them said that they felt personally responsible for the situation that they thought that they had gotten themselves into. You know, they felt shame. They were embarrassed. One of them said that she thanked him when he told her to get out of his house. And that is indicative of not just celebrity culture, but just our culture. It's the whole victim blaming thing. And we're ending up, somebody's even said, like, we're gaslighting ourselves, which is, I think, the root. That's the root of the problem. Did you both watch the documentary on your own? Or did you watch with partners or anybody else? Uh, no, I watched it by myself. I got a screener. Um, and so when they send you a screener, you can't, like, I watched it, like, probably two weeks before it came out. You're not supposed to watch that with anybody else. But I watched it. I watched it with my husband. I'm so glad I didn't watch it by myself. <laughs> it felt like it was almost like a horror movie, you know? Yeah, it reminded me a lot of that R. Kelly documentary that was on Lifetime. I just think there's something happening in the Black community right now where we're kind of taking to task all these guys. There's plenty more that we know about, but we're taking to task. We're starting to take to task these guys and not letting them off the hook anymore. You know, that documentary in particular, it seemed like it was, you know, the fact that it was Bell making it, that it was taking on in a very direct way how difficult a dilemma that the Black community, Black comedians in particular, would have in, yes, he was everybody's dad, but, you know, he did so much actual tangible good. The thing that's really difficult about Bill Cosby is the fact that I grew up, but I wasn't like hood. I, you know, I grew up middle class and all that kind of stuff. And so seeing that show uh, was essentially seeing myself on TV, and this is something I didn't really have access to uh, before that. And so the show was very important, but it was important for in, inside the Black community, both for entertainment value, also because of representation. But then he was doing a lot of good stuff in the black community. So he was giving to Spelman. He was giving to Morehouse. He was really kind of advocating for HBCUs. He was making sure that HBCUs were in the forefront of a different world. I'm in a black fraternity. He's in a black fraternity, different fraternity though. But he made sure that historically black Greeks were, you know, in the forefront. This is all new. This is all very new. And so there was this kind of uncomfortability with what we learned about him as is evidenced by the cover, I believe, I believe it was Ebony Magazine, where there's like a, a broken picture frame with the Cosby Show family inside the picture frame, which kind of illustrates just how complicated that is. And so Wesley Morris, he's a writer for The Times as well. He wrote a really good piece where he's kind of wrestling with the relationship that Bill Cosby has with the Black community and how we're starting to eschew these kind of demons. So, for example, we're coming to terms with R. Kelly, which, you know, is an issue in itself. Bill Cosby, but there's also other stuff that's kind of starting to bubble up. We're starting to hold people accountable. So, like, black intellectuals, I'm not going to name because I know them personally, but 
you know, run afoul of them and we are no longer in good relationship. But it's starting to kind of have this effect where we're holding people accountable, which means there's a lot of stuff that we're kind of having to kind of recalibrate on. So, for example, the stuff with Michael Jackson. What do we do with his music, right? Do we believe the boys? What do we do with James Brown and all the stuff that he did? What do we do with his music? How do we kind of deal with that? So there's a lot of stuff that's happening inside the black community surrounding this kind of stuff that this is but one story of many that we're starting to see unravel. Just kind of raise what I thought was the central question, because I don't know that we're going to add much to like, it's great that you've had additional stories, Genevieve, but people can read a lot about the specific situation with Cosby. But do any of you find that you can with Cosby or R. Kelly or any of these folks or Cosby versus Michael Jackson, that you can separate the art from the artist. I will never delete the Ali song off my iTunes, sorry, or the remix to Ignition. Nope. I think with Cosby, it's just so much bigger than that. He's done so much good. I Just the first episode where they talk about how he is the reason why we have Black stunt people doing stunts for Black actors. I mean, that is absolutely a good, positive thing that he did. And there are certain things you just can't, and, and I don't want to erase that. And it was so normalized, too, for Black people on television to be poor or stupid. And he was such a champion for changing that and showing, you know, the mom's a lawyer, the dad's a doctor, the kids are normal. And you didn't see a lot of that. The families were always broke or messed up or, you know, like he was the one that called out the little rascals for like, why is the one black child like mentally challenged? You know, like is that the picture? And so much changed because of him. Not that it wouldn't have eventually anyway, but it hadn't. Yes, but a person can simultaneously do really, really good things and be evil at the same time. And so for my purposes, R. Kelly, I'm done with R. Kelly. And the reason why I'm done with R. Kelly is because a lot of the music, you go back and listen to a lot of the music, I'm not sure he's not talking about underage girls in those music, in those songs. And so that's the reason why I'm done with R. Kelly. Cosby Show, I haven't watched the Cosby Show in many years. And, and I don't know if that's because of this or because I just haven't watched it. I, I, I don't know. Different world I watch. I just cannot disentangle their missteps with their art. Because every time I see their art, I'm going to re- be reminded of their missteps. And so it's just very difficult for me to disentangle those. And since I can't disentangle those, I just don't want to. Like, So I'm, I'm done with the James Brown music. I don't listen to Michael Jackson anymore. Those are ethical choices that I've made that I'm not saying everyone should make, but those are choices that I've made because I just can't do that. Like, I don't want to be watching the Cosby show and be thinking, man, he's, he was probably raping somebody the night before he made this episode. Like, you know, like, I just don't want to deal with that. Yeah, then you shouldn't, because if you watch it and you can't unsee it, I like James Brown. To me... I do too. I love James Brown. Yeah, and I don't... I separate because I... How many people are dead, you know, that we'll never know? We scratch the surface and oh my God, I mean... Marvin Gaye was terrible and it's... Now, I can't let go of his music, but there's a lot of stories of bad guys doing bad stuff. But... David Ruffin is probably responsible for the death of Tammy Terrell because she died of a brain aneurysm and he smacked her in the head and it was like very questionable. So what, we're going to cancel the temptations? Like, wow. No, yeah, it's hard. Cosby's brand was as this moral upstanding Mm -hmm. person that we all admired. We all, and he told us, you should be like me. You should be like me. 
And that hypocrisy, I have a hard time. You know, I admit if I hear Billie Jean at a bar mitzvah, I'm out on the dance floor. I am there. I still will do it. But for Cosby, it's harder. You know, even though he did so much good, it's still so much harder for me because he's come across as someone that I admired, that my family admired, that everyone I knew admired. And then on top of it, an entire community has admired him. And for him to, you know, end up being a serial rapist, it's hard for me to square that. I just can't, you know, it's just my brain just shuts down at that point. I don't really have any desire to see his work or listen to his records ever again. First thing, Billie Jean, being with Bar Mitzvahs, didn't know that, good to know that they're playing those songs quite frequently. Good to know that I can go to Bar Mitzvah <laughs> and get down. Two, I mean, I'm probably black and that's the reason why I'm good to one. Invite me. I'm, I'm, I'm open to Bar Mitzvahs. I tell philosophical jokes. But second, the thing here about Bill Cosby is that there's a whole nother thing with him because... Oh, I want to say it was around 2005. He went to Howard University, he gave this talk, and he was extremely judgmental. He was extremely like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Why are you sagging pants? Why are you guys thugs? You got to do better. You know, be the people that we want you to be. Like, he was very self-righteous. And so to learn that he was actually an asshole behind the scenes means that all that self-righteousness is just rings hollow. But he was also right. That's a big part of the problem is that... He was right on part of it. He was right on part of it. He was right, you know, that at the time, and I mean, I don't, I'm not going to say, you know, the black community, whatever, I'm not part of it and I'm not speaking on it. But yeah, people do need to do better. And yeah, there are a lot of members of the black community who use the fact that, you know, they're a minority as not able to get past that and not able to see themselves equal And he was trying to make a point that, like, yes, you are, and stop seeing yourself as lesser and behaving as lesser. Because he didn't see himself as, you know, and and he had no problem trying to make that known. And I think that that is good. And even though it came from a guy who did some fucked up stuff, the message still stands. You know, and I mean, there's still coming from a guy who's rich. (laughs) Like, I don't want to get too deep into the politics of the black community and the respectability of politics because that's what he was, that's what he was trapping with. Mm-hmm. The main issue is that he was right on some of the stuff and some of the stuff needed to be said. He didn't have to be as preachy as he was being. But the issue is he is a person who simultaneously did really, really good things, had good ideas about some stuff and was a monster. And we have to figure out how do we live with the guy who simultaneously does these good things markedly better world because he existed also markedly better worse world because he existed as well. How do we come to terms with that? I was thinking a good rule might be if they're dead, then they're off the hook. In other words, <laughs> but because, you know, bringing up James Brown or someone like that or Marvin Gaye, that's my, but I don't use that with Michael Jackson, like Michael Jackson, because we found out about it after he was dead and I'm still mad about it. And it's still like in the public, then it makes me unable to, take in his work in a way that, especially if somebody died decades ago, I don't know, they're probably all suck. And like, I I just can't discount all music or art from before a certain period because people were bastards. Can we talk about some disgraced white guys like Woody Allen and Louis C.K.? Like, how about those guys? Anybody want to go see Annie Hall anytime soon? Well, I do because my grandfather's in it. 
So, <laughs> all right. Very nice flicks. Very nice flicks. Very nice flicks. I like that. Sarah Lynn was just on with me to talk about Death in the Nile. So Army Hammer, like he's somebody <laughs> that is just like, oh my God, uh, I have no desire to see anything that he ever did again. No, that was so weird seeing him in that movie. <laughs> Whereas Louis C.K., you know, and again, I don't want to sort of get us too off on the tangent of debating the merits of any one of these things. But Louis C.K., is somebody that I have more forgiveness for. And I don't know if that's because I'm a dude. And I don't know. He's been so in some way self-reflective. Anyway, he's someone that I could still kind of mourn. Whereas Woody Allen, I've gotten, even though I don't even know if I believe the thing, I've gotten much less interested. Like I tried watching his rainy day in New York City film. And I'm just like, this is bad. And I don't know if I'm thinking this is bad because it's bad or because I believe this thing or because it's also just come out, you know, whether or not you believe the specific thing or the specific allegation, you know, a single allegation, it's kind of come up that he's sort of a sociopath, that he's sort of, he's kind of an asshole, you know, all these things mixed together in just how much you want to. But I did watch the Louis C.K. Disgraced special and I thought it was funny. So I, I'll admit that. Louis C.K., though, first of all, he handled it well. He handled it by acknowledging it. He didn't get angry about it. He was an idiot and he behaved really badly. And for a minute, he thought that he was more important than he was. But he's a human being. He's not a sociopath going, it never happened or, you know, it's fine. And I think that that's probably why you feel like Louis C.K. is a guy who made a mistake, absolutely was wrong, absolutely acted like a creep. But he's also... An ugly guy who all of a sudden girls are interested in him and they're not really interested in him, but they're interested in meeting him and being around him. And sometimes men or people who are not used to that kind of attention and suddenly they're getting it. They don't know what to do with it. And it goes to their head. And at least he was able to come back from it and go, I was wrong. And I got carried away and this was incredibly stupid and I'm embarrassed, as he should be. I see him as a person and I don't see some of these others as a person. I see others as a monster. This is all very exciting, but we need to stop for our advertiser break. First, I want to tell you about ZocDoc, a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. There are some amazing doctors out there, but the only ones that matter are the ones who actually take your insurance. And ZocDoc will filter your results to show you only in-network doctors, putting you on the path to see the doctors who are right for you. And right there in the app, you get verified patient reviews and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set to see someone who gets you. You choose a time slot, whether you want to see the doctor in person or do a video visit, and just like that, you're booked. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I am one of them. So in the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that's surprisingly pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com slash PMP and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash PMP. ZocDoc.com slash PMP. I'd also like to tell you about Upstart. For many people, getting financially healthy means dropping the weight of credit card debt. But what do you do when it feels like a never-ending cycle? Upstart can help you pay off your existing debt quickly and easily with a personal loan so you can start living your life. So, loan consolidation, 
You get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. The whole point is to get a better interest rate than you're paying from your credit cards or student loans or whatever. So you very well may want to look into this. I have done so in the past. Upstart is a particularly convenient option you might want to look into. They know that you're more than just your credit score. So rather than looking at your credit score alone, Upstart's model considers other factors like your income, employment, and other information provided in your loan application that will find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score in just five minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000, and you can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash pretty. That's upstart.com slash pretty. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. Let's get back to it. Yeah, like Cosby has been defiant. You know, he has been absolutely defiant and yeah. arrogant. Yeah, yes, yeah. that's Cosby's a great word for it. Yeah. No, Cosby is a sociopath. And Woody Allen has been pretty indifferent. Yes, and Woody Allen has been weirdly indifferent. And Louis C.K. is a guy who behaved badly and made a mistake and is open to fixing it. So, you know, we can move on with him. But these other ones, there's no moving on. They're not acknowledging. That's how I feel about it anyway. I wonder if maybe the thing with Louis C.K., to be honest, I really don't know that much about the dude because I kind of didn't care about him. The thing about Louis C.K. is that he wasn't like Cosby. He was like Woody Allen, one of the greatest film directors of all time. Also evil. Roman Polanski, for example, really, really bad guy. Great film director. So those are guys who are just on a different plane. So those guys can be defined because they're so great at what they do. Louis C.K., I mean, Mark finds him funny. No, Louis C.K. is on, is enormously talented. I mean, he's ta- okay, he's talented, but he, he was never my brand of comedy. Right, right personal attachment that says so much because like if somebody i don't care like i don't care about r kelly i've never listened to his music and so hearing that he's disgraced like fine i i wasn't listening i fucking cared like i was deep in the woods on that it took me two years to get off that music that (laughs) ignition remix it goes hard fiesta starring jay-z goes hard it took me a long time go half on the baby goes hard is he made great music and it took me a while you know so i think you may be onto something that it depends upon your attachment Because it is personal. I do feel like, and it's not that we think that, or at least I don't, I'm not delusional in this way, but there is a certain amount of a personal relationship that you have for artists that you particularly connect to. I certainly connected to Cosby when I was a kid growing up. And now I feel, you know, at the end of the documentary, the editor from Ebony, she said, I feel sad. And I was like, yep, that's it. I feel sad. I feel sad about this. And I think I'm not an R. Kelly fan either, but I also felt like there was some processing to do with Woody Allen. You know, I loved his movies. I connected to his art. What do you do with that? I mean, it's a new thing because we didn't used to do this before. We didn't know everybody's shit in generations past. It was behind closed doors. Which is not good. No, that's not good. No, that's not good. But this whole disgracing people and putting everything out in the open, it's a double-edged sword. All of it. You know, I mean, my favorite actress is Joan Crawford. I was born on her birthday and I love everything. She like love her, you know, and that's a messy one. You know, everybody thinks of mommy dearest, right? Do I think that it's true that she was abusive to her children? Absolutely. I am sure it's all true. 
she grew up in abject poverty. She had severe mental illness. I mean, like, like dangerous, severe OCD, undiagnosed, obviously, but it's very clear in all of her behavior and all of her, you know, in all of her memoirs and stuff that that was driving her. She should never have been given those kids. Like she adopted these children. Like she should have been evaluated. She was unfit. She also used to had an account at all the local hospitals and paid people's medical bills and anonymously for years who couldn't afford their medical bills and did that. And nobody uncovered who was doing it until she died. And there were so many wonderful things. But what goes in the time capsule, mommy dearest, that's what everybody thinks. And even though it's true, so are so many other things. You know, the love of her life was Clark Gable. And when his wife died, she went and had the remains brought home. The Red Cross wasn't going to do it. They weren't going to spend the money to go get this woman's remains for the family. She did it. She did all of it. Like amazing things. And yet horrible to her kids. Where's the line? Do we boycott her movies, you know, because she was a bad mom? What about Bing Crosby, who was a known alcoholic and abusive to his family and an anti-Semite, and everybody knows it. Disney was an anti-Semite. Look look at every Disney villain is Jewish, all of them. Big feet, big nose, dark hair. Every single villain. Well, and I wonder, I mean, it's just the, the Cosby downfall has been so huge. Like if he had just died in 2013 or something, you know, all this stuff might have come out. But it would be, it would have a very different tone and maybe- It would have a tone of hearsay. Yeah. And maybe historically, the legacy might have lived on, it ends up being just a a piece of trivia about Bing Crosby or something. Like, not a lot of people. I didn't know that specifically about Bing Crosby. But I wonder how much of this will get subsumed in just sort of a general rape culture narrative. Like, how fucked up were we as a society- And, you know, isn't it great that just like everybody was an anti-Semite before a certain, you know, and and was super racist. And I don't know. I mean, there's so much. I don't think Bill Cosby is ever going to be fondly remembered. I would be 200 years from now. Not after you've raped 60 women. Yeah, it's a hard one to to bounce back from. Yeah. (laughs) Which is the count is probably low. (laughs) It's probably more, a lot more than 60. Over the length of his career? Absolutely. Yeah. Does the type of art affect how... Like maybe music is a little more removed than a comedian and being an actor, reading somebody else's lines. That's an extra step removed from actually caring about how good they are as a person. I think you're right about that because a comedian and actually I think an actor is is less removed. I think an actor is closer than a, than a musician because when, when you watch a comedian, I'm a comedian, right? And my job is to actually connect with everybody there. It's less about what I'm saying than it is about the fact that everyone in that room feels like we're friends and I'm creating an energy where I'm having a relationship with all of these strangers and they all forget that we're strangers. That's how it's done. So there are people who think they have a bond with me and they don't. So imagine on a scale like Bill Cosby, the whole world thought they had a personal bond with him. So they felt personally betrayed. And you can fall in love with the character and you associate it with that person and you feel personally betrayed. I think music, there's a little bit of a veil, maybe. You know, people expect bad behaviors from rock stars to athletes. People expect bad behavior from athletes. You don't necessarily feel like Aaron Rodgers is your friend and he let you down, you know, with his lying about the vaccine and whatnot. I mean, I still think he's gorgeous, but that's neither here nor there. But I, you know, I don't feel like he personally lied to me. Whereas if a comic that I watched every day 
you know, looked into the camera the same way he looked at me and said these things, I would feel personally lied to. Sometimes I'm a songwriter, so I, I would put the different types of musicians even. Like if it's a Bing Crosby who's just singing, then that's just like being an actor. But if it's somebody who it's very much like a comedian who is through their lyrics, like this is my world, this is my outlook. The appeal of me as a musician is the fact that I am trying to relate to you on this personal level. Then, of course, if the person, you know, it's exactly like if Louis C.K., you know, in his way of trying to relate to, you know, ended up ends up being a scumbag, then it, the same goes for Michael Jackson was sort of a, a hybrid that he had original stuff, but a lot of his thing was, you know, as showman. And you could at least be like, well, there was some point before which he had not done anything horrible. And so I should be okay with the Jackson 5. Uh, what, you know. when he was seven? <laughs> <laughs> what about Eric Clapton? Oh, I think man. recently he's been... He's racist. That's he's racist and, a, and an anti-vaxxer. He's a denier. <laughs> I think he's shown his true colors oh. recently as well. I mean, Eric Clapton is so weird. His appeal was always just, I have a really emotive way of playing guitar. And I've never really loved him as a singer-songwriter. Like, that was not the point. Bob Dylan, with this new stuff coming up about, granted, maybe this isn't, you know, another one of those rape culture things that if I dismissed every single person who in 1968 had a 13-year-old groupie, well, then that's like, screw Led Zeppelin, screw all, all sort of the classic rock bands. Oh, and yeah. I'm not quite willing to go, like, I hope more of those people are held responsible. Wait, 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 stop. 13-year-old <laughs> groupie? Come on, dog. 13, 15? This is at least stuff that I was hearing about bands no, like that. No, dog, 15 is different. There's a market difference between like 16, 17, and 13. Y'all can have those guys. Peter Yarrow from P- Peter, Paul, and Mary. There's all this stuff that like happens in 1964 and stuff. Of course, they all did. Of course, it's all true. Okay, I'm going to let y'all have it. I'm going to let y'all have that. 13-year-old groupies would be an uh, off-ramp for me. I couldn't stay on that, <laughs> that train. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and exit here. But, but I will say that what Genevieve said is very insightful. I think that there is something to the nature of the art. Maybe it was Mark. I remember I'm giving it to Genevieve, but I think Mark. I'll take it. But there's something about the nature of the art being different. I think you're right. I think that, as Genevieve said, a comedian is different because when a comedian's good, you get to know that person and you're kind of entered into their world psychologically whenever they're doing it, if they're really, really good at what they do. An actor, actress, you always know that that's a role. And so you don't, you shouldn't get too connected to a person where you know that this person is kind of putting on this role. Probably shouldn't get too connected. Although black folks with Denzel Washington is a whole different thing. <laughs> and then a musician, it really depends. You know, so like the musician that I absolutely love is Prince. And Prince, I am shocked that nothing bad came out because that dude was so way over the top with his sexuality. If it's acceptable and people are, you know, consenting adults is perfectly fine. But that's how I'm able to kind of come to terms with the fact that there are some musicians that I just don't want to deal with anymore, especially to have 13-year-old groupies, Mark. And then there's other musicians that I'm willing to kind of look past. Like, I'm still trying to figure out what I think about James Brown. I still listen to it. Through I'm still trying to figure out. Michael Jackson, when he's doing the Jackson 5 stuff, is perfectly fine. But then when, when Michael Jackson's older, that's when I get uncomfortable. R. Kelly, I'm already done with. So I think you have to take it case by case. And, and again, understand, because one thing that I think is wrong is to say that Genevieve should let go of something because I have a problem with it. I don't think that's right. But I do think 
that a person needs to do some self-reflection and figure out what are they comfortable with? What can they live with? I was thinking about Richard Pryor, whose brand was sort of anti-Cosby, right? So he never pretended to be this great upstanding guy, but yeah. who doesn't love Richard Pryor? Richard Pryor was a whole different beast, yeah. <laughs> so that wasn't what he was selling. He wasn't selling that. So we all kind of accepted it, you know, or Sam Kinison, Sam Kinison. Well, I mean, but Richard Pryor wasn't raping people, though. Right. I mean, you know, so like right. Richard Pryor was doing bad stuff to himself. And when you start going into rape people, just doing stuff to other people, that's where it gets uncomfortable. Nobody disputes that Richard Pryor was a maniac and that he was severely troubled. He told us he was. Right. He told that's us it. Was. But I never met Richard Pryor. But as I said, my teacher who played his wife in California. California suite said Richard Pryor was a very loving and nice and kind person. And he fucked up like crazy. He, you know, people had to go find him. They were shooting him up with vitamin B all the time to just so he'd stay alert. And he was a pain in the ass and he slowed down the production and he was difficult, but he was not mean. There was nothing bad about him. He was just like a fuck up, you know, which is very different. But there is a sense of what the behavior is, I think, for me, is what tells me how I'm going to be feeling about this person. As much as I love Bill Cosby, the fact that he was, it turned out that he was a serial rapist. And not only that he was a serial rapist, but he had an entire system in place to cover it up. People were still making tons and tons of money off of him people who apparently knew what was going on. And that for me is like, I'm out. I knew somebody who worked at a production who knew about wine and told me about Weinstein years before anything happened. He said that when he was working there, one time he was asked to stay outside the door and knew exactly what was happening and that it wasn't really a secret. And I hadn't heard anything like this. So then when that whole thing broke, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember Chris saying something about this guy. So lots of people. And if you're, you know, a nobody at a company and they go stand outside the door. And the thing is, and and you don't really know, you have an idea and you're not in a position to derail an entire company and all of these people's jobs are not going to back you up and you get kind of stuck. I think it's very hard to know when is it going to be worth it and when is it not worth it. And that that's why so many people stay quiet because one voice against a machine like that. And people tried, you know, Ashley Judd tried. She didn't work for years. Mira Sorvino, an Oscar winner, was unemployable for like 10 years. Oh, yeah. There's like zero benefit coming forward for, I mean, if you're the first, there's really, what do you get out of this other than a lot of pain, harassment? And maybe 20 years later, they go, oh, she was right. That's like, great. You know? <laughs> sort of more fundamental criticism. You know, all this makes me wonder, as you were saying, we, we develop these sort of parasocial relationships to our celebrities. And I wonder if the fact that this happens repeatedly should maybe push us to declare war on the concept of celebrity or the need for heroes or whatever altogether. Is there any purpose in making this sort of argument that like we should not be putting, you know, even if it's just for yourself, I don't know. It's easy for me to say as a 50 year old dude that like, okay, I don't need heroes. Like, all right, well, I'm not a child. I'm not a child in an unrepresented group. I'm not any of that kind of stuff. 
the amount of personal stake that we put, you know, I've always been kind of contemptuous of people who are super sports fans. Like, you didn't win. Yeah. The team won, but it's easy for me. <laughs> but then because I'm, I like music so much, then I will completely like identify with these guys. Yes. Yeah. You guys are jerks. No, it's true. I don't care at all about sports, but I cried for two days when Meatloaf died. So I don't know if there's any use in saying, can we just maybe invest less in these parasocial relationships or spread them out more? I don't, I unfortunately <laughs> don't think it's realistic. I think it's human it nature. Realistic. It's not realistic at all. So Mark, what you're trying to say is we shouldn't have Black History Month because we shouldn't have people that we look back on and hold up in high esteem. We shouldn't hold Barack Obama in high esteem. We shouldn't hold Michelle Obama in high esteem. We shouldn't hold anybody in Hollis. That's not the same. Steaming is not the same as a parasocial no, relationship. No, that's what he said. That's what he said. That's what he said. It's a parasocial relationship is actually more like. We shouldn't have. Wait, let me finish. <laughs> you shouldn't have these parasocial relationships. And so people do have these parasocial relationships with contemporary great black people. I think that's a very nuanced argument. I think he means more celebrity in general versus. The Obamas versus R. Kelly. I mean, the Obamas are people that actually did things for the country that, you know, were- Wait a second. Okay, wait, wait, wait. R. Kelly did stuff too, but he was a bad guy. Go ahead. And Bill Clinton- was a fucking sleazebag, you know? Yeah. And, and he was a great you know, This is going to happen. People are going to betray our trust in this way. And, you know, the fact that I, for a while, had like, wow, everything Bill Clinton says, like, that's pretty good. I'm so glad that somebody's out there saying these things in the world. And, and then you I find out he's a sleazeball, and now you don't know what to say. So I'm asking, <laughs> man, is it, it sounds like you're making my point for me. I don't think you can get rid of those relationships personally. As Genevieve has already said, it's just human nature to, even if you wanted to get rid of this parasocial relationship, there is human nature to play LeBron James is great. I, I like LeBron James. Jay-Z is great. I like Jay-Z. Whatever. It's human nature. So I don't think it's possible to do that. But I do think that what we do need to do is be willing to cut it off once we find out that a person is bad. That's where the issue comes in. That's what's difficult is for people to make that leap and say, Roman Polanski did bad stuff. I'm done with that guy. This person did bad. Woody Allen did bad stuff. I'm done with that guy. Although I'll hold on to that movie that her grandfather was in. Right. I mean, you know, so the issue is that are we willing to cut off these parasocial relationships, not necessarily by getting into them? Well, here's another question, though. Should people in entertainment be held to a different standard than other people? Because if you have a emergency and you call the police and a cop shows up and you happen to know that that cop is mean to puppies and kittens, are you going to say, find me a different officer? You, you can't help me. That may be an extreme analogy. Celebrities are already held to a different standard than us anyway. I mean, Bill Cosby is out of jail because of a quote unquote technicality, or I guess it wasn't really a technicality. It was called something else, but you know, he wouldn't have struck that deal back in 2004 or whenever it was, if he wasn't already a very powerful, rich, influential person, you and I would not have gotten that same deal. So he's already playing by different rules than we all are. And he knows it. The fact that we've got a system in place that allows predators like this go under the radar for most of us for so long is what the problem is. We are going to hold certain people up because we project our hopes and dreams on people like the Obamas. Of course, we're going to do that. 
But I don't even want to say Barack Obama does, does anything wrong. But if somebody that we all admire does something wrong, we are blindsided. I think that, you know, we've got a whole system in place that helps us raise them up. And they stay there because they make a lot of people very rich. Yeah, maybe it's just a matter of the too big to fail sort of thing that there was so much, you know, this is why Cosby was just such a nice, clear case and was so wonderfully presented via that documentary of how much stake that we as a culture had in this guy. And that's the kind of centralization of attention. That's the thing about celebrity that I do not like. I like the fact that culture is sort of broken down. So there are more niche celebrities. Again, these people can abuse their power too. They can have very powerful parasocial relationships and abuse those and let people down. But, you know, at least we wouldn't have a whole industry defending a dude or something like we had with Cosby. I mean, Bill Cosby had a show ready to go on the air, right? Didn't he have, he was making a show for NBC when women were starting to come forward. Any final thoughts related to this figures that we have not named yet that any we can sort of go around one last time? Genevieve, any, thank you so much for sharing your... I would like to let it be known on public record that Kevin Spacey always made my skin crawl. <laughs> I was not shocked, not a bit. I mean, I was, I would have rather had been wrong, but always. Ugh. <laughs> just throwing it out there. Thank you for that. I <laughs> I, I'm just going to say that this has been a very fun conversation and I'm not sad at all. Good. <laughs> Sarah Lynn, any, course, any final? Of course I'm sad. Of course I'm sad. You, you guys are, I got to go home and like look at R. Kelly music and like not listen to it. Thank you. For that. Great conversation. <laughs> Keep me enjoying it. This has been a good conversation. I, I was nervous, actually, to be honest, about talking about all this stuff out loud because I'm still processing. I feel like I still don't know what I think about it. I still don't know what I think about Woody Allen and I canceled him back in the early 90s, <laughs> you know? I just feel like this whole culture that allows this to happen is what I'm most sad about. Well, I think that that's very valuable. And I think that more people feel like that than don't. I agree with Lawrence for the most part of you decide what you can live with and what you, but I'm also open to being convinced that if I'm letting Louis C.K. off the hook too quickly or some of these other people, I'm open to the fact that maybe that's because I'm a white dude and I'm in my particular position and am not being properly sensitive to something. So that's not that I'm just going to like anytime anybody objects to anybody that I'm going to say, OK, yes, they're canceled. They will no longer be a part of my life either. You know, it's at least a decision you have to go through and try to think for yourself. But something like everybody else, I'm probably still trying to figure out and operationalize this. And in many cases, give people their, you know, this is something we're just as a culture of how can people reform? That if this was you know, judged as a, a systemic problem, you made a mistake, there has to be some sort of mechanism of forgiveness. But it's just that's something we have not figured out yet. I think so. it depends on the nature of the crime and the person behind it, you know, and the motivation of the person. behind. Again, like I could see Louis C.K. never pulling this shit again. I could not see Bill Cosby never pulling this shit again because Bill Cosby still, it's all over him. He doesn't really think that he did anything wrong. It's in there. It's like he was so arrogant and horrible. You know, I think there's bad behavior and there's mistakes and then there's like bad people and they're different and there are bad people like there are. 
Well, let's say goodbye to the listeners. If people have a, are able to stick around for a few more minutes, maybe we'll do some sort of supporter-only talk. I will reveal that I have two different guests that I've had on my shows who are now in some way canceled, <laughs> but I don't want to talk about them publicly. Oh, my gosh. Really? Thanks to all three of you for joining us, and thanks, listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. Bye. Get more Pretty Much Pop at prettymuchpop.com. Get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash prettymuchpop. Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life podcast network, and it's also presented by openculture.com.